from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I speak to you today as um, the acting host of this program and uh, in answer to some questions that may or may not have been raised in the last few days, I just want to make it clear that, of course, a quid pro quo exists in the uh, arrangement for this program to be broadcast over these stations. Um, it's the norm in the radio industry, has been as long as I've been alive. Get over it. It's going to... Excuse me just a minute. No, I have a new version of my statement. I am acting as the host of this program, not the acting host. And uh, there is no quid pro quo in uh, the broadcasting of this program. It's, uh, well, I mean, there's a quid, there's a show, but there definitely... As far as I've ever been able to find out, there is no quo. It's public radio, you see. Um, and I've, I spend part of every waking day trying to get over that. Um, if this has caused, I hope this clears up any, any tizzy that uh, has, been, has erupted in the media over the last few days. And uh, let me just also say, if, if anything that ever happens in this program... Uh, causes a further tizzy in the media, uh, I'd be surprised and delighted. Hello, welcome to the show. Give me 
From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Bees. Yeah, a new report from Bug Life. <laughs> um, this is reported, though, by the BBC Wildlife Team. Reveals that many northern Irish bee species are in decline because of Brexit. No, because of the impact of habitat loss, pollution, disease, and climate change. Brexit has nothing to do with this. These trends are particularly concerning given the importance of bees as key pollinators of crops and wildflowers, as we've discussed all the time. Wild bees show among the most severe declines of any U.K. pollinators. But that's because of Brexit. No. The Northern Ireland Threatened Bee Report, well, I wonder what that's about, examined both historical and modern data, looking at 21 target bee species. Well, if you weren't targeting them, maybe these should Targeted bee species that were considered to be at greatest risk. These were all classified as critically endangered, endangered, or vulnerable in the red list of Irish bees. You got your copy here, didn't you? Even the bees are gingers. What a, The report revealed all 21 of these species to be a conservation concern in either Ireland or Northern Ireland, with concerning losses evident across the region. Quote, Unless urgent action is taken, we're likely to see the extinction of some of these species over the next 10 years, unquote. One example, and I think you'll only need this example, I know I do, is the Barbutt's cuckoo bee. I said the Barbutt's cuckoo bee deserves to live just for its name. This species has been assessed as being endangered. It declined by 85% since 1980. It used to have a longer name, too. This dramatic fall in population is thought to be due to a loss of nesting and foraging habitat. In other words, a place to live and eat and bring up the kids. Uh, it's likely that the loss of wildflower-rich habitats is the reason behind much of the decline. An 85% decline. Oh, sorry. Uh, an estimated 85% of all wildflower and flowering crop species depend upon insect pollinators. Bees also depend upon these flowers to survive. See, it's, it's like a system that was devised before we ever got here. Many bees specialize in gathering pollen from specific wildflowers. They suffer heavily when the meadows are cleared. The report recommends a detailed action plan for each species. I hope there's a specific plan for Barbutt's cuckoo bee. I'm going to call Barbutt if, it's, if there isn't. These actions include restoring habitats and connecting those that remain. Often the surviving habitats are splintered. You know, the way we do with uh, deer habitats in the United States. Well, you can live a little bit here and a little bit there, but you can't, you can't get over there, which, of course, results in, um, over time, genetic limitations. The uh, gene pool becomes smaller, opening the door to disease. Diseases at the door all the time. Now, we know about the uh, role of neonicotinoid pesticides in uh, wiping out the bees. They're also now going after the birds. Yes, it is the birds and the bees. New research at the University of Saskatchewan. They have a show how the world's most 
widely used insecticides could be partly responsible for a dramatic decline in songbird populations. You've heard that report recently on this very broadcast. And this is from the News Optimist, the Battleford's News Optimist in Canada. Canada. Well, of course they're optimistic about the news in Canada. But a good thing to name a newspaper, though, the News Optimist. No, not really. The study is the first experiment to track the effects of a neonicotinoid pesticide on breeds in the wild. The study found that white-crowned sparrows, who consumed small doses of uh, one of the neonics, suffered weight loss, hey gals, and (laughs) delays to their migration. Effects that could severely harm the bird's ability to survive and reproduce. Quote, we saw these effects using doses well within the range of what a bird could realistically consume in the wild equivalent to eating just a few treated seeds, says the lead author of the study. Our study also shows this is bigger than the bees. The birds can also be harmed by modern neonicotinoid pesticides, which should worry us all, says one of the researchers. Until now, researchers had not been able to assess what happens to pesticide-exposed birds in the wild. So it is the birds and the bees, but wait! It's also the deer. A groundbreaking study conducted by scientists in South Dakota, they have sci- has found that the world's most widely used family of pesticides, the Unix, is likely causing serious birth defects in white-tailed deer. That's according to the South Dakota News Watch. This deepens concerns over the chemical's potential to harm large mammals, including, you know any large mammals? Try people. A subsequent study by wildlife scientists and ecologists at South Dakota State University will examine whether ring-necked pheasants, although they already did, uh, could be harmed by neonicotinoid pesticides, which are used heavily in ag across the state as well as the nation. The first study showed that white-tailed deer with high levels of neonic pesticide in their spleens developed defects such as smaller reproductive organs, pronounced overbites, pronounced overbites, and declining thyroid function. It says declined here, but I'm sure they didn't decline thyroid function. It declined. Fawns with elevated levels of the pesticide in their spleens were found to be generally smaller and less healthy than deer with less of the chemical in there. Study marks the first time neonic consumption has been licked to birth defects in large mammals. These were deemed to be safe for higher organisms, and the fact that we saw so many diverse impacts on the deer. That was a big thing, says Dr. Jonathan Lundgren, an ecology, an ecologist, an independent scientist who co-authored the study. And then the fact that the white-tailed deer are not that far off from our livestock or even humans suggests that maybe we need to be examining these insecticides risks a little bit more closely, unquote. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. Because we're not we're not the birds or the bees or the deer we're we're us. Well, you may have read, ladies and gentlemen, about the travails of uh, one of the exciting new startups, which purports to be in the tech world, even though what it does is sublease office space. Yes, I'm talking about WeWork, which had a a, a rather alarming moment when they tried to. Uh, debut on the stock market where the original investors could cash out and uh, nobody wanted to buy in. 
Well, and and you know the 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 thing about these companies is that they they try to dress themselves up in the raiment of tech companies because tech companies have been getting such a gee whiz isn't this amazing press for about the last 25 years um well that's changing but um so there is a this uh this tendency to want to at least pretend you're a tech company even though your only gig is subleasing office space well here's what else was wrong with we work we work tenants this is from Business Business Insider. We work tenants received an email recently informing them of, quote, potentially elevated levels of formaldehyde, unquote, throughout WeWork offices in the U.S., Canada, specifically in the phone booths of those offices. That's how advanced the tech of WeWork is. They still have phone booths, ladies and gentlemen. The email said WeWork is pulling 1,600 phone booths from locations that may be impacted in addition to 700 phone booths that have yet to be tested for formaldehyde. Phone booths. Wow. That's techie. Formaldehyde, as you know, is a toxic chemical used primarily as a sealing agent in particle board and wood products. It was present in the uh, trailers that the United States government sent down here to uh, Louisiana in the wake of uh, the New Orleans federal flood and... uh, they hadn't allowed, been allowed to gas out the formaldehyde before they were sent here. Anyway, when people are exposed to high levels of formaldehyde, they can experience eye, nose, and throat irritation, according to the EPA, which I guess is still allowed to say that. WeWork said in the email it had received some complaints of, quote, odor and eye irritation. You don't want your odor irritated. In a statement to Business Insider, a WeWork representative confirmed the contents of the email, said WeWork took action to remove the phone booths. Ah, I got this one. There it goes. As soon as tests for high levels of formaldehyde came back positive. Colleen Wong, a director with the Global Entrepreneurship Network. That sounds big, but she's renting space at WeWork. She noticed a pungent smell in the phone bo- phone booths. I'll repeat that for late tuner enters. The phone booths at the WeWork location in Arlington, Virginia, where she's a tenant. WeWork as a landlord. How techy can you... Quote, I always noticed from the first time I entered a phone booth, a strong chemical odor, Wong told Business Insider. I assumed it was a new building equipment type smell, kind of like glue or a new car. Colleen? Why do you think a new car smells like that? I would ask Colleen if I had her number. Other WeWork tenants voiced exasperation on Twitter after the uh, email arrived. High levels of formaldehyde were caused by the manufacturer of the phone booths, according to the WeWork representative. They didn't add formaldehyde to the phone booths. They just installed them. That's how high-tech they were. This is the latest incident. For WeWork, they're now reportedly looking for a line of credit to put some new from out, no, and could run out of cash next month. And then who's going to remove the phone booths, I ask you? Didn't think about that, did you, critics of WeWork? Now? That is to say, and now... We've got the ultra modern neck. We're here. Who's getting 
This from Ohio. Companies in that state injected chemicals into more than 1,400 fracking wells from 2013 to 2018. And the chemicals that were injected were trade secrets. Ohio firefighters and emergency responders are being kept in the dark about potentially hazardous chemicals used in fracking. Oil and gas companies are using the trade secret exemption to avoid disclosing the full mix of chemicals used at well sites in the state. Critics say the secrecy threatens public safety by preventing first responders from preparing for incidents involving chemical fires, spills, or releases. Quote, we need a better system to ensure the safety of our first responders and residents in areas affected by oil and gas grilling. drilling, says the vice president of Energy, Energy Policy for the Ohio Environmental Council. They have an environmental council in Ohio. Imagine that. The problem was highlighted in a recent report by the Partnership for Policy Integrity and Energy Policy Advocacy Group based in D.C. Ohio law does require drillers to report which chemicals they use in fracking. Some information, though, can be kept secret from the public. Companies can claim trade secrets for the ingredients of various chemicals, so the general public can't get the information. The Department of Natural Gas generally can't disclose it either, so first responders can't get the info. At least one chemical was a trade secret used at more than 1,400 of the wells in the state. Many of those chemicals could be toxic, says the author of the report from the uh, Partnership for Policy Integrity, the author, Dusty Horwitt. He based that conclusion on a review of EPA records dealing with new chemicals proposed for drilling and fracking. That damn EPA. Will somebody shut them? EPA routinely identified health concerns with these chemicals ranging from lung toxicity to neurotoxicity to developmental toxicity, he said. And yet the agency also routinely allowed those chemicals to be used commercially in oil and natural gas wells, often with confidentiality claims preventing the public from knowing what's going on. Horwood and others aren't sure which trade secret chemicals used at the wells in Ohio might pose particular health concerns because of the secrecy. You see, other industries generally inform first responders about the ingredients of chemicals used at their facilities under the Federal Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act. But wait, there's more. Colorado officials declare they will toughen their oversight of oil and gas drilling and fracking sites. This follows the release this week of a lengthy multi-year scientific study that found industry operations, fracking industry operations, may expose residents to unhealthy levels of benzene and other chemicals. I think I smelled some benzene in the air this morning. They reported unhealthy air for sensitive people in New Orleans. Today, benzene's unhealthy. The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environmental Safety, sorry, Environment, study concluded that people living within 2,000 feet of fracking sites could face an elevated risk of short-term health impacts, your nose bleeds, your headaches, your breathing trouble and dizziness, in worst-case scenarios. Benzene has been linked to cancer, but that's not a... State officials said the study, based on measuring of emissions and computer modeling, I love a computer model, my favorites, did not find a basis for predicting long-term health harm. State regulators, though, say they will immediately begin reviewing more strictly all industry applications to drill within 2,000 feet of homes and start measuring air emissions around the drilling sites. Well, that would be nice. That would be nice. 
new wrinkle. Before this, said uh, the director of the Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, Jeff Robbins, before this, the commission was not involved in testing air pollution near homes. We're going to do that now. All right, then. The um, Colorado Oil and Gas Association president, Dan Haley, said, there are no long-term health impacts related to oil and gas development. Policy needs to be based on real data, not modeling. He doesn't like models. Colorado data show that since 2009, companies have drilled almost 1,700 wells within 500 to 1,000 feet of buildings. 500 wells within 350 to 500 feet. 300 wells within 150 to 350 feet. 16 wells within 150 feet of buildings. Maybe even homes. Who knows? You know? Homes, not homes, really, you know, somebody could live anywhere, really. Anything could be a home, let's be fair. And a new study from the University of Texas at Austin shows some of the recent earthquake activity in the Permian Basin of West Texas and Southeast New Mexico may be related to hydraulic fracking, according to the Kalanish Energy News. We don't often cite them, so welcome aboard. The study is the first to link induced seismicity, or man-made earthquakes in Texas, to fracking, the scientists said. That study disputes the widely held view in Texas that wastewater disposal wells were solely responsible for the man-made earthquakes. Now we're learning that it's the actual drilling itself. So-called frack quakes have also been reported in Oklahoma, Ohio, Canada, and China. China! The report was published in the Journal of Geophysical Research, Solid Earth, funded by the state of Texas the hell are they doing? The research done through the new study in West Texas using a statistical approach to associate seismicity with oil and gas operations suggests that some seismicity is more likely related to fracking than saltwater disposal, said uh, research scientist in the state. So now here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen, and I, th- I think I've shared this information with you before. Um, it's not widely reported, but it is reported. I mean, it's not not common knowledge, but it's not, not knowable. That is to say it's true that uh, fracking wells are much more productive in the first couple of years than they are going forward. This is one reason why almost all the companies in the fracking business are losing money, and many have already gone bankrupt. So all of the negative health effects have already happened, probably, because they're going to they're not going to keep this up very much longer with the, uh, you know, the, ba- the bad return on investment and so forth. Hey, here's news from America's longest war. Afghanistan's election commission, they had an election. You didn't hear about it? You didn't vote? Elec- the election commission says it will miss, it did miss, yesterday's deadline for announcing initial results. The election was held last month. Wow. They do need voting machines. I don't care if they're paper records. The uh, head of the Independent Election Commission apologized for the commission's failure to announce the results on time. Should be in the Apologies of the Week, but it's right here. Right here, right now. Regrettably, the commission, due to technical issues and for the sake of transparency, could not announce the presidential election initial poll results, said Hawa Alam Nuristani, the head of the Election Commission. See, a woman is ahead of the Election Commission. That's 
you're welcome. She gave no timetable for where the results would be announced. She said it hopes will be, she hopes it'll be, quote, as soon as possible. The delay comes amid deepening uncertainty. Following the vote last month, the front runners, President Ashraf Ghani, he's the incumbent, and Chief Executive, you remember this name? You remember this name? Abdullah Abdullah said they expect to win. Each one says they expect to win. Indicated they will not accept defeat because of suspected flaws in the voting process. Well, that bodes well for the future, doesn't it? You may recall inconclusive election results marred by fraud in the last presidential election way back in 2014, nearly tore the company, the country apart, averted the crisis we did after we, the United States, brokered a power-sharing deal between Ghani and Abdullah. Abdullah, Abdullah, Abdullah. Both men say securing a peace deal to end America's longest war is a top priority. A heavily contested vote would undercut any Afghan government standing in peace talks with the Taliban, who uh, just this week bombed a mosque. So they're still, they're still at it. They're not letting uh, election results stand in their way. America's longest war, ladies and gentlemen, marches on. This, um, this weekend, Friday, well, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, summer finally broke in New Orleans. It's, it's back to being warm again. But for a couple of days, we experienced a little thing. It's a little later this year than normal. A little, brief little thing called autumn. Open up the window, see the AC, free from the grips of the humidity time to tree your shorts for jeans it's autumn in New Orleans just like the springtime without the bugs breezes as gentle as grandma's hugs streets start filling up with tourists and teens Autumn in New Orleans Saints back playing Magnolia swaying Shaking off the last spring's beans Party time beginning Saints keep winning Who knows where this thing leads Second line starts snaking up and down the street. Glove hands clapping to the dancing feet. Friday night fish fries, white limousines, autumn in New Orleans.
pelicans start balling, duck blinds calling, dog and niggas with returning, ghosts to a romancing, engines start dancing. Soon enough to find fire's burning. So goodbye to grilling. Indoors is willing. Fix up a mess of red beans. Welcome back to autumn. To old CPR. This is Strictly Business Afternoon Brief. I'm Mary Alice Langerhans. A hot trend in the food category is fine dining maestros going mainstream. The latest is David Mensch, the truffle toast of the town in Chicago. No way I'm ever going to stop caring about my two high-end culinary adventures, Ruffles, and, and of course the very new Flourishes. But I, I really wanted to start a food conversation with the rest of the world, too. An evergreen hot trend in every business is nostalgia. And that's David's new sweet spot. We're on the final stages right now of uh, tweaking the recipe profile for my new chain. I mean, right now it's only going to be three locations, but my consultants are telling me to, <laughs> to get ready for takeoff. You know, everybody has some kind of memory about eating in the school cafeteria. Good, bad, indifferent. It's in that place that we start yearning to re-experience right about the time we're raising kids. And that's the whole concept behind school food. So a fine dining maestro is revisiting the tastes and the textures of a time gone by and come back again. You know, they overcook green vegetables, blanched to the most lovely, subtle gray-green Rich and creamy white sauce that can complement almost any protein while beautifully masking its own flavor. Even french fries, perfectly limp and soggy, and the almost complete absence of mouthfeel. You know, it sounds easy until you try to replicate it at scale, and then you realize you never knew you missed it until somebody did it right. And the name of the chain? It seems obvious, but is that a good thing? Believe me, we had some... Amazing dinners at Flourishes, kicking names around. But in terms of getting the concept across, my partner Aegon nailed it. He said, nothing says school food like school food. School food opens its first three locations in Chicago next month. Get ready for that, oh my God, these are peas moment all over again. Last time we looked, the world keeps spinning. And tomorrow, the Strictly Business Morning Brief will report what happened while you slept. Except the part about you sleeping. Till then, I'm Mary Alice Langerhans. And this is CPR, public radio for the rest of us. And now back to the show programming. Google's Nest smart devices 
I have to go into falsetto to say smart are always listening. Their microphones detect loud noises and cameras track sudden movements in a home and can start automatically recording at any time. Because of that, nest owners should probably warn their house guests that they're on camera. According to the chief of Google's devices department, Rick Osterloh. Hey, Rick, you're being quoted. When asked by a BBC reporter whether homeowners with Nest have such an obligation, Osterloh said first, he hadn't thought about it. Rick, you're the head of the device department. How could that be? Aren't you paid to think about this stuff? Apparently not. You're paid to put them in people's homes and walk away. Gosh, I haven't thought about this before in quite this way, he said. It's quite important for all these technologies to think about all users, and we have to consider all stakeholders that might be in proximity, unquote. Stakeholders, like somebody who comes over to your house, a friend. That's a stakeholder, ladies and gentlemen. Hold this. Australo then exceeded that warning house guests about Nest devices recording capabilities would be proper etiquette, stating he already does it. <laughs> he didn't think about it, but he does it. Does the owner of a home need to disclose to a guest? I would and do when someone enters my home, and it's probably something that the products themselves should try to indicate, he said. This is from Business Insider. I got inside this. Nest devices are fitted with an LED light that turns on whenever they're in recording mode. These recordings can't be overridden at the time, but users can refigure their Nest settings to disable all recordings or simply unplug the devices. Well, that's useful. Then why, then why buy them? Buy and unplug today, won't you? A Google spokesperson was not immediately available to, <laughs> to give even more silly answers to questions. Several residential builders have stopped buying and installing Google's Nest devices after Google overhauled how Nest technology works, or in this case doesn't work, with other gadgets. This is from Bloomberg. Google actually, yeah, Google bought Nest uh, five years ago for $3.2 billion to crowbar its way into the smart home market. The devices became popular with builders, home builders, who saw a Nest gadget as a way to increase the value of properties. That's right. People would pay more to have that in their house. You see. But earlier this year, that began to change as Google exerted more control over Nest and started changing the underlying technology. In its independent days, Nest developed software that helped its gadgets communicate with a wide range of products from other manufacturers. But at the end of August this year, consumers need a Google account and access to the company's voice-based Google Assistant service, they call it a service, to integrate new Nest products with other devices in their homes. This may help the Internet giant weave Google Assistant deeper into people's lives. I'm just reaching in to take it out right now. But for builders, it's just pain because Nest devices no longer work well with the other gadgets they install in homes, such as audio and entertainment systems, alarms, and other security gear. Let me just tell you right now, if you're letting your builder install your audio system, you're making kind of a mistake. It's also a less enticing user proposition with all the privacy permissions that Google Assistant requires. That spurred some builders who collectively purchase tens of thousands of Nest devices each year to now avoid Nest products.
Do like the builders do. And tech giant Samsung has acknowledged a major flaw with its fingerprint system that allows other people to open its high-end smartphones. And it has advised users to delete all fingerprints that they've registered. You may recall Samsung's earlier setbacks with major products, the uh, recall of the Galaxy Note 7 devices over exploding batteries, just exploding batteries, nothing to see here. Earlier this, had, this year, they had to delay the launch of its first foldable smartphone after early users, beta testers, found faulty screens. Uh, now, the, a user in the U.K. told a newspaper, well, The Sun, uh, the Galaxy's S10 smartphone could be unlocked by someone else by simply putting a screen protector and applying an unregistered fingerprint. The flaw meant anyone who got hold of a phone could transfer funds using the user's apps. In a statement released Friday, Samsung said the issue involved fingerprint sensors unlocking devices after recognizing three-dimensional patterns appearing on certain silicone screen protecting cases as users' fingerprints, unquote. That's right. That's what we said. Advise users of the Note 10, 10 Plus, S10, S10 Plus, and S10 5G. They don't make it 10 minus? No. To delete all previous fingerprints and start the thing all over again. Please refrain from applying a silicone screen protecting case to your device until a software up- update, which is planned to be released beginning next week. Enough weasel words there? The uh, company had touted the S10's in-display fingerprint sensor as, quote, revolutionary. Quote, when you place your thumb on the screen, it sends ultrasonic pulses to detect the 3D ridges and valleys of your unique fingerprint to quickly and accurately recognize you. Meanwhile, South Korea's Internet-only bank has told its customers not to use fingerprints to access its mobile banking services to employ passwords instead till the problem is fixed. Passwords. What are those, Grandpa? All right. Um, I've stalled as much as long as I can. An amazing week <laughs> for President Bush, President Trump. They're all funny, really, when you stop to think about it. But this one, more than most, um, his um, his little uh, foray into uh, inter- uh, foreign relations with. Uh, Turkey's President Erdogan has not gone so well. Uh, President <laughs> President Trump sent the uh, President of Turkey a letter warning him against, you know, doing bad stuff now that President Trump had uh, cleared the way for the President of Turkey to go into northern Syria. Reportedly, the President of Turkey threw the letter in the trash can, an even less consequential letter than the one that Boris Johnson refused to sign before he sent it to the EU. Even less consequential than that. Uh, So generals, generals and majors, left and right, are criticizing the the apparent way things are going now in Syria. Uh, Turkey says it wants to resettle a couple million Syrian refugees in what was a Kurdish area which sounds to some ears like ethnic cleansing. The Kurds have to go somewhere, don't they? Mm, yeah, you know, they're Kurds. And um, meanwhile, in uh, Washington, 
the president had a <laughs> president had a meeting at the White House with top congressional leaders on the subject of the the situation in Syria. Um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi got up at one point, or uh, at one point said, uh, "Gee, with this president, all roads lead to Putin." I guess she's channeling Hillary Clinton. Um, the president got ticked off at that, called Nancy Pelosi a third-grade politician. After which Pelosi got up and uh, left the room with most of the other Democratic leaders. And then uh, the uh, acting chief of staff, most of the people in this White House and and in the administration are not acting. They have not been confirmed or even submitted to the Senate for approval. It's a new way to run the American government, I'll admit. Uh, Mick Mulvaney held a press conference where he said, yeah, sure, there was a quid pro quo for Ukraine to get its military aid from us. Of course, grow up. That's the way. Get over it. That's the way business is done. Uh, a statement that he had to um, walk back, as the lingo has it, uh, a few hours later. Um, in the meantime, it does suggest that uh, there's certain there are just little, little, little hints, little hairline cracks in the wall of Republican support for the president. Um, but that, oh, and he had to, uh, the president had to uh, walk back something himself. Uh, Mulvaney had hold, held a press conference originally to announce that the G7 meeting of uh, Western leaders was going to be held. Here's a nutty coincidence for you at the uh, Doral Resort in Miami, owned by the president of the United States. Isn't that fortuitous? Um, and Mulvaney spent a lot of the press conference saying, we looked at other places. This was the best place by far. There's no place like this place. I mean, you could cut it into a nice 30 or even a 60. By Saturday, the round of criticism from Republicans as well as Democrats had convinced the president that he needed to um, walk back and uh, kick the G7 out of the Doral in his own special way. He may be having to do other things to uh, heal some of the breaches. Hello, you have reached the personal line of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I'm busy herding cats at the moment. Please leave a message at the tone. Nancy, Nancy, I'm chucking Nancy fame. Of course, it should be Nancy and Chuck, but it's too late now. Once these things get repeated often enough. This is Donald, the president, President Donald. I know we had a bad meeting this week. I know you're as sorry as I am for your meltdown and vice versa. If you're listening, pick up. Come on. Don't be like a spy. You know what we used to do to them, right? Okay. Okay, you're not really there. So here's the deal, Nancy, or Madam Speaker, whatever the hell I'm supposed to call you. Me. You can call Donald. That's because I don't need to hear my title all the time to keep my dignity intacted. So look, we need each other. Right? We got the budget. We got the trade deal. We got stuff to do. You said so yourself. They played me the tape. Sure, this impeachment thing is a big fat elephant in the gorilla's room. But look, we've been through, let me say, crap in our lives. Me doing real estate TV. You doing whatever you've done. We know how to chew and walk with the gum, right? You know as well as I do. We can both play the tough guy. 
It looks better on me than it does on you, I can tell you that, but maybe you don't care about that. And I don't mean that to sound the way it means. But Nancy, the impeachment thing can wait. Like Nude was saying to me while he was writing this statement, we got a country to run here. I got my super delicate and extremely skillful diplomacy thing in Syria going on. You don't think President Erdogan brings up the impeachment thing every time I try to make it clear that we won't back down anymore? Maybe you didn't think about that. Maybe I didn't. But here we are. So look, there's water. It went over the bridge, so okay. But we don't have to love each other to work together. I mean, I've, I've, I've been married three times. Nobody knows that better than the stable genius here. So, Madam Nancy, there's no apology. There's no non-apology. It's just two enormously powerful people. Maybe the most powerful in the world. People have told me that. Just try to figure out how neither takes the other down, right? I mean, I know Chuck is going to try to talk you out of working with me on the budget and, 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 and the other thing I mentioned. Believe me, I knew Chuck way back before he decided to get crooked. More crooked than a Ukrainian crap game. But you're just a San Francisco socialist. I think we can do some deals. So let's let bygones be bygones. And Nancy, let's let everything else be bygones, too. While we're at it, you know the private White House number. If you don't have it, call Tucker Carlson and give it to you. Let's talk. Let's do something. Let's not let impeachment get in the way of infrastructure, right? And, and, and just a personal thing, don't let yourself get all bogged down in thinking about what your father did or didn't think you were worth a lukewarm pile of. Take it from me. Okay, Nancy. Thanks for hanging on. See you. And now, the Apologies of the Week. Well, first, an apology from the International Olympic Committee. John Coates, who represents the IOC, apologized to uh, the Japanese organizers of the 2020 Olympics for the abrupt announcement that they're moving the marathon and race walks out of Tokyo to Sapporo because it's cooler there in the summertime. He said it was necessary to avoid Tokyo's summer heat. He's the uh, chairman of the Coordination Commission for the Olympics. Apparently, they didn't do a lot of coordinating. He said it's simply a matter of implementation to move the events to the cooler climate. For Tokyo 2020, it came as a bit of a surprise, and I understand that, he said. The problem is, you can't leave this up in the air. We had to move quickly, and we didn't want speculation, and we didn't want rumor. So we decided not really to coordinate. Mayor of Sapporo said first thing he heard about it was either in the media or on Twitter. So that's some good coordinating there. But when you got to move, you got to move. Oh, I'm here. I'm just screwing around with equipment. New York is the dateline. Christian Dior is the manufacturer tangling with China. The French fashion house issued an apology this week over a map of China used during a presentation that didn't include Taiwan, like as if Taiwan was a separate country or something. It's a self-ruled democracy that Beijing insists be treated as part of its One China initiative. I think they'd like the whole world to be treated as part of the One China initiative, but that's another story. The message posted on Dior's 
Weibo account, that's a account in chat account in China, said it was an employee's fault and that it supports China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. It also wrote that it will investigate the incident and um, send the employee to China. But no, it's not going to do that. They'll send uh, LeBron James to apologize, won't they? Dayland Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth officials identified the white police officer who shot and killed a black woman in her own home while responding to a welfare call, apologizing repeatedly for her senseless death and saying the officer has resigned. Mayor Betsy Price, speaking to the family of Tatiana Jefferson, said, I am sorry, there is no justification for what happened. Police Chief Ed Krause identified the officer as Aaron Dean. Hey, Dean! Who was hired in... August two years ago and commissioned eight months later. A curse-filled clubhouse victory. Oh, my God. A baseball manager swearing. St. Louis Cardinal manager Mike Schilt. I said Schilt. His his curse-filled speech went viral after a player posted it on social media. Schilt had choice words for the Braves and the Cardinals' next opponent in the National League Championship Series, including frequent use of the F-word. It's regretful that that was able to get out, said Schilt. I said Schilt, the day before the Cardinals host the Washington Nationals. I will not apologize for having passion about how I feel about our team and the accomplishments of our team. But I apologize if my language offended anyone. It's not something I like to represent. It's not to be excused. I will say that I'm flawed. I have my moments. I grew up in a clubhouse. And one of the crosses I bear is my language. It's regretful that that was able to get out. I grew up in the clubhouse. Food must have been good. Dateline Lansing, Michigan, the Diocese of Lansing did not handle a sexual assault case from the 1990s appropriately, according to a report commissioned by the diocese released this week. The Reverend Pat Egan was found to have sexually assaulted a man in 2014, had also sexually assaulted someone in the 1990s. That's a very painful place to be assaulted. An independent law firm reviewed how the diocese handled the two reports of sexual assault against Egan, found that while the diocese handled the more recent case well, it failed to investigate the 1990 report. I repeat publicly now what I've said privately and personally to the victim in question. I'm deeply sorry for the diocese's past failure, and all should know that the allegation would have been handled differently today, said Bishop Earl boys in a statement. In September, the diocese released a list of 17 priests credibly accused of sexually abusing minors. All 17 are either dead or have been removed from active ministry or defrocked. According to Bishop Boys. CNN host Chris Cuomo apologized after saying jokingly that his pronouns were, quote, she, her, and hers, unquote. Please read. When Senator Harris, Senator Kamala Harris was on his show and said her pronouns were she, her, and hers, I said mine too. I should not have. I apologize. I'm an ally of the LGBTQ community, and I'm sorry because I'm committed to helping us achieve equality. Thank you for watching our town hall. I don't know. I, I, I'm still thinking about what my pronouns are. The pastor of Pioneer Drive Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas, issued an apology this week about his heavily criticized statement regarding the arrest of a former church worker arrested on a child sex charge. In his letter to the congregation, Stan Alcorn said, 
the uh, accused, Jeff Barry, is my friend. I love him as a Christian brother. I'm praying earnestly for Jeff today and will continue to do so. The letter was criticized by people on social media. Alcorn posted an apology on the church's website saying, in part, I never intended to downplay the severity of the charges detailed in the arrest warrant or to diminish any victim of childhood sexual abuse of their families. I understand my words were insensitive, he went on, and they did not convey what is truly in my heart. Therefore, I want to be clear today when I tell you Pioneer Drive will not protect those who harm children. I'm sorry I ask for your forgiveness. All right, we know what's in your heart. Earlier this month, Fox host Lara, in- Lara Ingram incorrectly stated that Mark Zaid, a lawyer for the whistleblower in the uh, Ukraine matter, had previously represented Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton. That was not true. Zaid pointed it out. Ingram issued a half-hearted correction. Zaid said it was distorted and incomplete correction by omission. So it wasn't really an accepted apology. Leonard Posner, the father of six-year-old Noah Posner, the youngest victim in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting, has been awarded $450,000 in a defamation lawsuit against a conspiracy theorist who claimed the shooting never happened. James Fetzer, a retired professor of the University of Minnesota, Duluth, alleges Posner faked his son's birth certificate. Fetzer has... uh, Let's see. Fesner, Fetzer, Posner, Fetzer, Posner, Fetzer. Um, no, Fetzer did not make a show of contrition. His co-author, uh, uh, a Mr. Palachek, has apologized. So, one for two. Bulgaria coach Krasimir Balakov has apologized to the English team after fans taunted their black players with Nazi salutes and monkey chants during a Euro 2020 qualifier in Sofia. This, I guess, would be in football. Actor Gina Rodriguez has apologized for posting a video of herself using the N-word on social media. And those are, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. we got one more. A South Dakota superintendent is apologizing after learning a student at a middle school was denied breakfast as a form of discipline. Breakfast. It's not just for breakfast anymore. There's your school food right there. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end. That's it. It's the end of this week's edition of the show. Ain't no more. I'm going to go watch the uh, implosion, the big implosion downtown. But I will be back with um, another one of these next week. Same time on the radio, whenever you want it on your other audio device of choice. Hey, Alexa, tell Google to turn off the nest, will you? And it would be just like Google turning off the nest if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Thanks to the San Diego desk for their 
contributions this week. The email address for this program. Playlist of the music heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts before they issue the election results. Hurry. All at harryshare.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Tip of the show, chapeau to um, Pam Halstead and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. I did, this, did say I'm on Twitter, right? Because my, my quo from you for this quid is hearing from you. Join the conversation, won't you? Ugh. I just sickened myself. The show comes to you for Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the Crescent City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.